Let's have somebody come up here and read this opening passage. We've read it every week. It's in Galatians. Who wants to come up here and read it? Come on, CJ. All right. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I've got it right here for you, okay? All right. Go ahead. But the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Sweet. All right. All right. Go ahead. Grab a piece. Go ahead. So, self-control, that's what we're talking about tonight. Self-control. It's an important one. It's very important. They're all important, but this is one of my favorites. Um, and here's the thing. One piece. I'm literally talking about self-control. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> wow. My leader. Go sit down. You're lucky I didn't forfeit your right to candy at all. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right. Self-control. What a great way to start, huh? <laughs> Here's the thing. When I, was listening, when I was thinking about self-control, I was praying about it, the biggest thing that came to light for me, I was like, what do you want me to share, Lord? What passage should I share? Which passages? What example from the Bible do you want us to learn from? And this is what I felt like God wanted. Ladies, what is going on? Self-control. Brandon, come on. Okay. Where do you guys think I'm going to talk about? Not John. It's not John. Josh. What do you think I'm going to talk about, Josh? Right. I bet you're about David. He said David? Is that what you said, John? It is David, actually. It is David. So here's the thing. John said he did not have any self-control. I would disagree with that. I think he sometimes had incredible self-control, and other times he had absolutely none. <laughs> How many of you can relate to that? Right? I mean, I think teenagers can definitely relate to that. It's like, man, I got self-control until dudes, that sweet honey comes walking by and wants your number. Huh? <laughs> self-control until somebody Snapchats you or you see some smack being talked about you somewhere. Huh? then you don't have so much self-control, right? You got a lot of self-control until your sibling does something you don't like. Then how much self-control do you have? Huh? Got to tighten this. <laughs> so the life of David, I think, is just so incredibly relatable. And I'm sure one day I'll do just an entire series on the life of David because there's so much to pull from it. Thank you guys for quieting down. Self-control. Way to be. Pat yourself on the back. I'd say pat your neighbor on the back, but that might not end well. <laughs> the life of David is just so full of relatability. There's moments that David, he hits the mark right in the bullseye. 
He's nailing it. He's doing awesome. And then there's moments he's falling flat on his face in failure. <laughs> there's times he's just on top of the world, and there's times he's just in the dumps. There's times he shows himself to have incredible self-control. And then there's times he has no self-control. <laughs> and we'll dig into both of those examples with his life. There's moments in his life you see and you read it and you go, wow, what an amazing, incredible man of God. What an honorable person. <laughs> and then there's times you look at his life and go, wow, what an amazing, dishonorable screw-up. <laughs> I can't believe he just did that. <laughs> And these examples are things that we can learn from, we can grow from, we can see these examples, and if we don't learn from them ourselves, we will do them ourselves, right? One of David's best moments I want to dig into is in 1 Samuel, it's in chapter 24. And I want to just give you a bit of a summary leading up to this point in his life, okay? So David... I don't know how many of you know the life of David and the story of David, but I'm just going to talk to you as if you don't know it, okay? And I know some of you do, so just bear with me. It's a good reminder. David was a man who, at first, he was just a teenager, and then he got anointed to be king. He got told he was going to be the next king of Israel. And he was just a shepherd boy. He was forgotten by his own father, when asked, where's your sons? Bring them into the house, and I will see which one God has to be the next king. And his own father didn't even bring him up. <laughs> so he ends up getting to this point where he's anointed, and then Goliath comes on the scene. Who here has heard of Goliath before? Anyone? So Goliath shows up. He's this beast of a guy. He's in charge of the Philistine army, and he's shouting insults at the nation of Israel, which David is a part of. And David shows up, and he kills the guy, because he's saying, somebody step forward and take me on. So David's like, fine, I'll do it. And he steps forward, he kills him, cuts his head off, and then they win the war. They win this battle with the Philistines. No, it wasn't that easy, but... He had to trust in God. You can read. I'm doing a summary, all right? <laughs> so after he kills Goliath, he greatly impresses the king. He impresses Saul so much so that he gives David his daughter in marriage. So now he's actually even married into the family. He's married into the royal family, okay? But eventually, Saul ends up getting extremely jealous of him. And so much so that he, on many occasions, decides to try and kill David. I mean, this happens multiple times. There's one time it happens, he throws a spear at him while he's playing music. He's so jealous of him, and he just chucks the spear. David dodges this thing, does a matrix move, and then dips out. <laughs> Next time, he hears that Saul wants to kill him, in the morning, so David's like, well, I'm out of here. I'm not going to be in my room when he shows up. <laughs> and he climbs out the window, and his own wife, the daughter of the king, tells him, my dad wants to kill you. Yeah, I already experienced that once. Well, he's going to try it again. So he climbs out the window and escapes. Another time, he's 
on the run for his life. He's running for his life because Saul has literally started trying to hunt him down. He is hunting him. How fitting for hunting season that we're talking about this. (laughs) But that's what he's doing. So David's on the run. He's hiding. He's trying not to get caught by him. And there's a point where there's this town that Saul comes to. And there's 85 priests that are a part of this town, as well as their families, women, children, relatives. And they won't give up where David is. And Saul is so furious. This is how crazy he is. He's so furious, he kills all of the priests, 85, because they won't give up his location. As well as, it says, all of the women and children there, and the donkeys, and the livestock, like everything, slaughters it all. That is how angry he is and jealous he is of David. How much self-control would you say Saul had? (laughs) Not very much. He's not doing so well, right? So the priest wouldn't tell him where he is. And and there was even an occasion where he tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, who was David's best friend. He tries to kill him because he feels like he's siding with David. And he throws a spear at his own son, who would be the successor after him to be king in a normal empire. But at this point, God says, your family's done. I'm choosing a different family now. But he gets so mad that he tries to kill his own flesh and blood, his own son. Now talk about messed up, right? So the reason why I share all of that is because I want you to see how amazing the self-control David had with what he ends up doing. Now that you guys know what was going on before this, okay? So at this point, David's hiding. He's hiding in a cave. And I'm just going to read it here. It's in 1 Samuel 24, starting at verse 3. It says, At this place where the road passes from sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Yes, that's in the Bible. (laughs) What do you think that means? (laughs) He went in to go to the bathroom to use this cave as a bathroom, as a toilet. Well, sure enough, David's in there. (laughs) As it happens, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Talk about luck, right? (laughs) Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him, because David's not by himself. He's got some soldiers with him that are there to protect him and and be with him, his right-hand people, okay? Today the Lord is telling you, and be cautious of people that talk to you like this, (laughs) I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. God never told David that, okay? (laughs) Never said that to him. As you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Saul isn't aware of this. He he doesn't feel it. He doesn't notice it. He must have had a really good pee. (laughs) It must have been a really sharp blade, too. (laughs) But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. Some of you need to listen to your conscience from time to time. 
It's really the Holy Spirit saying, uh-uh, that wasn't a good idea. Maybe put the brakes on. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. How many of you would be saying this? With everything you know about what happened beforehand. (laughs) What David has been going through at the hand of this man. Let's keep reading. So David restrained his men. His men are like, come on, let me at him. Let me at him. (laughs) You're not going to kill him. Let me do it. (laughs) But he doesn't. He restrains his men. And all the while, somehow Saul isn't aware of this. (laughs) He's a crazy man, right? After Saul had left the cave, after Saul had left the cave, pay attention, And gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him. So Saul's left the cave now. He's, you know, closing up his robe, doing his thing. (laughs) He's walking out. And David's like, yo, my Lord, Saul the king. This is what he does. He goes out there. (laughs) There's humor in the Bible, all right? Oh, I love it. It's so good. I just love this story. My Lord, the King. Now that's a term of endearment, right? That's a term of respect. He's showing honor to him. He's calling him his king still. He could have been like, yo, messed up father-in-law. But he didn't. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Can someone get me a glass of water? Maybe, Caitlin. (laughs) All right, I guess CJ's good. Thanks, CJ. <laughs> then he shouted to Saul. Here's, here, listen up. Here's what he says. He shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I am trying to harm you? Because this is what Saul's got in his head. People are lying to him. David wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. He wants to take the throne from you. you better look, here, look out. Watch your back. Maybe you should take him out before he gets a chance. That's not what happened. David has an opportunity. He doesn't do it. He says, this very day you can see with your own eyes, he's holding up the piece of his robe. It isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you. (laughs) And I just imagine, he's probably like, some of my men (laughs) told me to kill you. But I didn't. (laughs) But I spared you. Some of them. And they shy back into the cave. Step in the pee. (laughs) For I said, I will never harm the king. Here's the important part. Listen to this. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. He's calling him his father-in-law still. Thank you, CJ. Appreciate it. Look at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off 
but I didn't kill you. If I could cut this off without you knowing about it, I could have easily stabbed you in the back. All the times you've been trying to do it to me, right? This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you. Even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. (laughs) Hunting for me. Literally, that's what he was doing. All of this shows how incredible the self-control David was capable of. And it's really something every one of us is capable of. He doesn't even have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside him yet, which is what anyone who follows Jesus has. We're the ones that are more capable of exercising the fruits of the Spirit than even he was. Yet we read this story and we go, wow, how in the world do you do that? (laughs) That is very difficult. By today's standards and laws, he had every right to kill him, right? He had opportunity. (laughs) And there's so many times that these moments come to us where we can put vengeance into our own hands and say, man, if this thing was gone, if this person was gone, if this problem was gone, my life would be so much easier. It would make things so much simpler for me. I'm just going to do it. But he doesn't do that. There is even another time, two chapters later, where he has a whole other opportunity to kill him. <laughs> because again, Saul is trying to kill him again. He even apologizes at this point. He says, oh my gosh, you're a better man than I am, which he is. And then he's, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. Okay, you're forgiven. And then he just ends up trying to kill him again. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. This is a point two chapters later where he's given another chance to kill him. And one of his men, again, says, just let me do it. Let me strike him with the spear. I'll pin him into the ground. I'll only have to strike once. (laughs) That's pretty intense. These are some serious, serious warriors, right? You, I want you to listen with this story specifically. You are capable of doing the right thing, even when people are telling you not to. TJ. You're capable of doing the right thing, even when people are trying to tell you and convince you not to do it. Right? David has nothing but whispers in his ear of people that really have his best interests in mind. They greatly care about him. And they're telling him, Kill him. Kill him. Let me kill him. Let me kill him. I'll do it for you. I'll take care of it. You guys need people in your life that are going to tell you the truth and what's right. Not just what you want to hear. Right? You can do the right thing even when everyone else doesn't want to. (laughs) That leads me to the next example with David where he he doesn't do so hot. (laughs) He screws up pretty big time. And... There's more than one time where David failed. But in this specific situation, it's probably one of the most common ones. It's one of his most well-known shames. 
in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So at this point, David's been king for a while. Saul's dead. He is now the king, and he never killed him, which is incredible. He never took his life into his own hands. But he left it to God, and he said, you're the one who avenges me. You're the one who's going to lift me up. You're the one who's going to exalt me to become king. You anointed me. You put me on the throne, which is what he does. So he leaves it open to God to take care of, and eventually God brings him to the throne, and he makes him king because Saul dies in battle. And so in 2 Samuel, at this point, David's been king for a while. He knows the routine. He knows what kings do. He knows how kings are supposed to behave. He knows what is expected of him, especially with what's expected of him with the Lord. So in this story, 2 Samuel 11, I'm going to start with verse 1, and then I'm going to jump up to verse 8, okay? So 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. I want you guys to pay close attention to this first verse. This is very, very important. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. So what do you guys notice is the problem? Is David the king or is Joab the king? David's the king. So he sends Joab instead, so he doesn't go. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. I think that's how you say it. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. That's a problem, right? So right off the bat, I mean, it says it twice just so that you get it. David was supposed to go. He didn't go. And when he was supposed to go, he didn't. (laughs) That's basically what it's saying. It's repeating itself. And if the Bible repeats itself, pay attention. So David compromised. And it might seem like not really a big deal, but this compromise that he makes leads to a bigger compromise, which is really a huge compromise that devastated his life. He was never the same from here on out. You can see it throughout Scripture. He's just faltering. He's fumbling. He's struggling. And ever since this moment, his life isn't the same. No, God was with him through all of it. But at this moment, this big compromise leads to a bigger one. And what ends up happening is he's out on top of the rooftop of his palace, which is like the biggest building in all of Jerusalem. And he sees a woman who's bathing on top of another building. Well... That's a problem, right? <laughs> so instead of being like, oh, I'm going to go inside. I shouldn't be out here. This is, this is uncomfortable. This isn't okay. He says, hey, go check who that woman is. <laughs> go find out who she is for me. To one of his men who's in the palace. And so the guy does this, and he says, well, what do you know? This is the wife. <clears throat> red flag. Right there. <laughs> that right there should have been a red flag. But that doesn't stop him. This is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who is one of his mighty men. So David's got 30 mighty men, like the top dogs of his army. And this is the wife of one of them. Now, where are these mighty men? They're where he's supposed to be, right? So his lack of self-control, of, eh, I just don't want to go to war. 
I've fought a lot of wars. Do I really have it? Well, you're the king, so you kind of should be there. <laughs> Instead, he doesn't go. So this small compromise leads to bigger problems. So what ends up happening? Instead of going, oh my gosh, I really shouldn't. Nope. Not only is she married, but she's married to one of my faithful servants. One of my mighty men, who's one of my greatest warriors in my army. And they're out fighting, killing the Ammonites who are at war with us. Instead of doing that, he goes, well, he's not here. I could probably get away with this. <laughs> and so that's what happens. He ends up sleeping with her. <gasps> he ends up screwing up big time. So here's the thing. What's one of the Ten Commandments? Don't commit adultery. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. That's specifically what it says. It's just basically what he does. Like, as, can, as plain as can be, that's what he does. <laughs> and so he screws up big time. Well, what do you think ends up happening? She gets pregnant. <laughs> well, who do they think is, do they think this is going to be the child of the guy who's off at war. <laughs> no. Big time no. <laughs> He's been off at war for a while. Yes. They don't. Uh, they don't know at this point. It, it, it's not really relevant. But here's the thing. Listen. His small compromise leads to a bigger compromise, which leads to a huge, huge consequence. He ends up losing his child because of his sin. That's what ends up happening. The child dies. And he tries to cover up this whole thing by getting this man to come home while everyone else is off at war. So this is the verse I'm going to share. Verse 8. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. This is what David tells him. Come on home, because he's trying to get him to come home and sleep with his wife, so then he'll think the child's his own. This is what he does. Go on home and relax. David's even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Man, this guy is just so incredibly loyal to David. <laughs> Now nah, I'll just, I'll up your security. <laughs> That's what he does. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, The ark, which is the ark of the covenant, they always brought that to battle with them. The ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab, my master's men, are camping in the open field. Joab and my master's men. How could I go home? Which the irony is, David truly is his master. <laughs> and he's like, your men <laughs> aren't here where you should, you shouldn't be here either. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. 
When I was reading this, it was almost like David was eating his own words because these are pretty much the same words that he says when it comes to killing Saul. He says, I swear I will never lay a finger on the king. I swear not to hurt him. I will not harm him. I swear I will never do such a thing. So David ends up intentionally killing him, causing him to die in battle on purpose to try to cover up this whole thing. And then things just spiral out of control. (laughs) David, because he is loved by God, God has mercy on him. And it might not seem like mercy, but he does. God confronts David because he loves him. And he deals with this problem. Because he's like, if you're going to be the king, we gotta, we got to take care of this stuff. <laughs> or I'm going to have to just find another family. <laughs> so he confronts him. God confronts David. And God often does the same, time, the same things with you and me. And it's not because he's, he hates us. It's not because he doesn't want us. It's because he loves us. It says in Scripture that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. As a father disciplines a child in whom he delights. The definition of self-control that I found, back to self-control. Out of, and it's called the Blue Letter Bible. It's an area you can go to, to to look at Greek words and understand a little bit more about the original language the Bible was written in. It says self-control is described as the virtue of, of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetite. David had great control of his appetite for vengeance when that moment showed up. But when this moment shows up, he screws up. He messes up. In Galatians 5, 16 through 18, we haven't really read this passage leading up to this point. But this is what comes right before the fruits of the Spirit. Because in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, is where we find the fruits of the Spirit, right? So in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, it says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is Paul talking to the church. And we should heed these words, right? Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It's that conscience like it talked about in scripture when David cut the robe off of Saul and he said I I shouldn't have done that (laughs) that's letting the Holy Spirit guide you then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants and the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Do you guys ever feel this fight? Do you feel this tension inside yourself? They're constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law. Amen. I'm just going to share a quick story and then fast track this. So for myself, I had a job at one point where I worked for a moving company, and I had a job at one point where, wait for the next word, okay? (laughs) 
I had a job where I worked for a moving company. That was my job, okay? And it was in Minneapolis, big city, Minneapolis, St. Paul area. It was huge. I mean, there's like a million people within 50 miles. <laughs> and while I'm working at this company, they, I mean, the people there was just garbage. They were just terrible, terrible people. <laughs> they were awful. <laughs> I mean, just to put it into perspective, there was one point where I was in a vehicle. We're driving through Minneapolis, and this guy who's driving is getting high. He's smoking weed right there. <laughs> and he's, like, getting really high. <laughs> okay very obvious and i'm right there in the cab with him and i'm like we're gonna die <laughs> lord please do not let this be the end i just got married because <laughs> i did <laughs> yes yes he was the driver share it in group okay <laughs> share it no 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 not right now not right now share it in group okay so there, I mean, that's just one example, but there's, uh, these guys were just constantly doing terrible things. Their, their mouth was horrible. They would talk trash all the time. They'd talk trash about their wives. They'd talk trash about other women. They'd be gawking at every girl that they drive past. It was terrible. They'd be looking, I mean, looking at pornography right there on the job. <laughs> just terrible, terrible stuff. <laughs> the music they would listen to was absolute garbage. I never had a say in the matter of what we listened to. And they would just be listening to just total trash. <laughs> Full volume. It wasn't on headphones. Okay? <laughs> and I'm surrounded by this stuff. There's not a whole lot of control I have over this because I tried to get many different jobs that would work with the schedule I had. And this was the one that I landed on. So, in this job, I had plenty of opportunities to not exercise self-control. <laughs> so when I hear stories about, well... Butte High is just a really difficult place. There's just a lot of horrible things that happen here. There's just not any good people around. I can't help myself. It's not the truth. You can exercise self-control. It is a choice. In the same way David had a choice of whether he was going to choose self-control or not. He had a choice of what he was going to do. It was up to him. And we have even more ability than he had because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us who guides us, who leads our lives. That's what the scripture says that I read, right? There's a lot of ungodly things that happen around here in this world and in Butte, Butte High, Central, you name it, because people are there. But when we stand before God one day, he's not going to go, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. That was a really hard school. I'll let these sins slide. <laughs> no. It's not what's going to happen. We are not even going to be able to stand. We're all given an opportunity of what we're going to choose to do. We can choose self-control or we can choose not to have it. There were smaller compromises that happened with David, and that led to bigger compromises. And I would say that these things happen all the time. There's opportunities you guys have where you can choose to exercise self-control and not cheat on a test <laughs> to, to choose not to send that snap to somebody 
to not blast someone and gossip about them. You guys know the things that you struggle with. We always have a choice of what we can choose to do. Your compromises are capable of devastating consequences. Absolutely devastating. And if you get this figured out now, (laughs) your life later is going to be a whole lot better. (laughs) It's going to make things go so much better. You will never hear from somebody, at least somebody who's in the church who loves the Lord, say, man, I wish I really just would have lived for myself a little bit more. (laughs) When they get to the end. (laughs) You go ask John, what's the biggest thing you wish you did different? Do you wish that you would have done all those things before Christ? Or do you wish that you would have chose to follow him sooner? John is going to say, I absolutely wish I followed Christ sooner. I wish I would have had more self-control at these moments. And I know that's the same for me. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. This is extremely important. And it's stuff that people don't like to talk about. But it's in the Bible. We've got to talk about it, right? It says they're very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry. That's something else being in charge of your life than God. Worshiping something else. Some people worship themselves. <laughs> Sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. Dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a stark warning. Wait till the end, okay? This is a huge warning Paul's trying to give. Self Control, along with every other fruit of the Spirit, is ultimately your choice. You can choose joy, or you can choose not to have joy. You can choose to lash out in anger. You can choose to have hostility, quarreling. Or you can choose love. You can choose peace, or division, or dissensions. You don't know what that word is? Look it up. It's causing strife. It's causing, it's like being a pot stirrer. You're just trying to poke the bear. (laughs) You can choose patience, or you can choose lustful pleasures, sexual immorality. I think, I was like, which ones work with which? (laughs) I mean, honestly, that's the truth. Choosing patience, waiting till the right time, or just giving it. (laughs) Everyone else is doing it. What's the big deal? Here's the beautiful thing. If anyone confesses their sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Katie, you can come on up here. Can I have you gentlemen bring this cross up here? So we've got an exercise we're going to do. There's a piece of paper on these tables. There's plenty of paper, okay? And there's pens in these buckets. I want you guys to think about the stuff that I've been talking about. Where are things hitting the mark for you? 
You're like, man, I know that's me right now. I have not been exercising self-control in this area. First John 2, 1 through 2 says, My dear children, I am writing this to you. Just one explanation of what Scripture is all about. So that you will not sin. You guys want that life? <laughs> I know I do. But, everyone say but. I an old pastor who says, always circle the buts in your Bible. <laughs> But it's important. I think he's making a funny joke, but it's true. Those moments are really important in Scripture. It says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is who? Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. There's hope for you, there's hope for your neighbor. (laughs) There's hope for you, there's hope for your enemy. (laughs) There's hope for your teachers. There's hope for your school. You guys believe that? This scripture is for you to live free of sin. That's what scripture is all about. That's what this Bible is all about. It is so important to read. If you guys want to live a life, the good life, a life that's different than the rest of the world, you got to know this. (laughs) It's going to help you greatly have (laughs) self-control. If God is revealing to you areas you haven't asked forgiveness of yet, now is the time to turn it around. Put it on the piece of paper, write it down, And we're going to nail these things to the cross. And here's why. The final verse, passage of Scripture, Galatians 5. This is what wraps it all up. Galatians 5, 24 through 26. This follows right after the fruits of the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross. They've nailed them to the cross. And crucified them there. Crucifixion is brutal. And sin is the one thing that deserved it. We all deserved it because we all had sin in us. But Jesus gets there instead of us. He puts himself there instead of us. Since we are living by the Spirit, this is important. Are you living by the Spirit? It's a choice. Right? Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I think every single one of those, those three things is something that teenagers struggle with. Provoking each other, making people jealous. Conceited, it's being prideful, thinking, man, I'm the best. (laughs) Ain't nobody better than me. So I want you guys to come up here, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, and if you need to think about it for a moment, go ahead and do it. Okay? Okay.